That's Westlife and Flying Without Wings times 234. And that is a perfect transition to go over to Cruz McCalligan, who is here for her audio column today. And I always try and find appropriate music. So, and Cruz is talking <laughs> about bats today. So that I, I have say, to dig out. It was a good song. Yes. Good song. So do bats have wings, Cruz? They you? do, they do. Okay. I was wondering, you know, you could have done meatloaf like a bat out of hell. I did, I looked for <laughs> it and it wasn't there. <laughs> I can't say it's like a favourite song of mine, but it would have been, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we are talking about bats today, Sadia, mm-hmm. um, as in the flying mammal. And there's a reason we're talking about them. I was out with my sister the other evening and um, <clears throat> I said, oh, look, a bat. Just because that's just the kind like of that. person I am. I do that all the time. My friends and family will tell you. I'm just chatting to someone. I go, oh, look at that bird. Just all the time. <laughs> and it's just, uh, in Hong Kong, we have a lot of bats. And I think it's really easy to just miss them. Because, of course, we've got all the streetlights. And then when you get into that twilight time and insects in the summer start flying towards the streetlights, you get bats swooping in to eat them. And people never really realize it's mm. a bat. They just think it's a bird. I've never seen and them. And she said, she said, bats. We don't have bats. I'm like, we have heard, we've loads of bats. And then I proceeded to point out every bat, you know, on our way home, oh, swooping wow. around in the sky. And she was like, I had no idea. And then she was the one who told me, actually, bats are really, really amazing. And then she started telling me some facts about bats, which the ones she told me I'm going to get into in a, in a minute. But I thought we would recap. Because, of course, bats at the moment have a particularly bad reputation mm. around the world. Mm. Um, because they have been, I won't say credited, blamed, um, you know, burdened with the potential beginnings of coronaviruses and viruses. And I think that movie that came out, Contagion, started mm. with a bat and things mm. like that. So we, they have a really bad reputation for kind of being these viral, I don't know, dynamos. Mm. Um, mm. But they are really fascinating, and I don't think they do it on purpose. So I thought we'd have a bit of a look at them. Um, there are over 1,100 species of bats worldwide. And although they are very small, you know, that most of them are quite small, they make up a very large footprint. They are almost one quarter of the world's mammals. Oh. I had no idea. My goodness. Yeah, so bats are quite a big part of the ecosystems of our planet. Um, they can also live for more than 30 years, which is incredible, wow. really. Um, that's a very long time. Um, you know, when you think like a dog doesn't do that, a cat doesn't really do that, um, but a bat can. Mm. They've also found that they, um, they can get reach speeds of up to 60 miles per hour, if not more. And there was a paper published where researchers found that the Mexican free-tailed bat could reach speeds of up to 100 miles per hour, God. making it the, by far the fastest mammal on Earth. Kind of amazing. Now, something we know about bats is that, um, you know, we associate them with darkness and vampires. Vampires, And we're going to talk about vampires in a minute. But bats can actually find their food in total darkness, um, even though not all of them are nocturnal. Mm -hmm. But those that are can locate insects by emitting inaudible high-pitched sounds. So their echolocation, right? Mm -hmm. So 10 to 20 beeps per second and then listening to the echoes, which is amazing. Now, what are they locating? Well... Bats can eat up to 1,200 mosquitoes an hour. In an hour, a mosquito. I, I don't think it would be particularly easy to find, locate, and eat one mosquito, yeah. let alone 1,200 of them in an hour. 
So, that you know, they're consuming their body weight in insects every single wow. night, which sounds like a lot. That's really helping keep bug populations in check. That's a really part, you know, that's a really important part of our biodiverse ecosystem. Yeah, the balance yeah. that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sadly, more than half of the bat species, for example, in the United States, are in severe decline or are listed as endangered. Um, so in addition to loss of habitat, which is one of the, um, you know, big things, one of the most dire threats comes from a thing called white nose syndrome. So it's a disease that's decimated bats in the U.S. and Canada. Um, and they have uh, the Nature Conservancy collaborated on a white nose syndrome breakthrough in 2015 where bats were treated with a common bacterium that seems to stop the growth of white nose fungus and then they were successfully released back in the wild. So it's something you wouldn't even think about. Oh, mm. bats have got a fungal nose. Mm. But actually it's a really big impact on our ecosystem if those populations start to suffer. Um, so what's also amazing is their kind of resilience. So we think about bats living in caves and maybe hibernating, um, and they, they can hibernate through cold winter months, but they can also survive freezing temperatures, even after being physically encased in ice. Oh, are you kidding? Are you kidding? <laughs> no, physically encased in ice. Okay. And now this is one quite cute fact, which is um, what a baby bat is called. Right. A baby bat is called a pup. Oh, um, Oh. It's adorable. It's a pup. And most bats have only one pup a year. And um, what's really amazing is when we think, um, I don't know if you've ever seen footage in nature documentaries or maybe you've been to a bat cave yourself where there's just <laughs> hundreds of thousands of bats, just loads and loads and loads. I've seen loads it on TV, yes. Yeah, I don't just, think I've personally been in one, but certainly on TV, yes. <laughs> yeah, and you have those millions of bats living yeah. together. Now, a bat mother with her one little pup, can find her baby among thousands or millions mm-hmm. with unique voices and scents. Wow. So it's absolutely amazing. I'm impressed. And it's also, I yeah, am. it's also a reason that it makes them very vulnerable to extinction. Because if mm. you're only having one baby a year, you're not even replacing you're not even replacing the two parents. Mm. <laughs> but that's mean? a huge population of them though, isn't there? I mean yeah. that's what you said. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, of course one other thing that we do associate with bats is guano, which is one of those like fun fun pub quiz questions. Like, what are bat what's bat do called? <laughs> like, I know this, guano. Yeah. Um, which is one of the richest fertilizers. In fact, bat guano was once a really, really big business. Guano was Texas's, the state of Texas's largest mineral export before oil. Wow. Which is because of the power. Can you imagine what that fertilizer can do for the agriculture industry? So it's kind of incredible. Um, When we think about the size of bats, um, the world's largest bat is called the flying fox which lives on islands in the South Pacific. Yeah, And the flying fox bat has a wingspan of up to six feet, which is amazing. Now, if we contrast that, the world's smallest bat, again, an adorable name, is the bumblebee bat Mm -hmm. from Thailand, Mm -hmm. which is smaller than a thumbnail and weighs less than a penny. I don't even know how much a penny weighs, but just sounds tiny. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the thumbnail is tiny, my goodness. It's so small. It's just like a fly. Imagine a mammal that size. Mm. Now, of course, when we think about bats, we think about vampire bats, and I think that they have this very predatory reputation, remembering that there are over 1,100 species of them. But... um, uh, only three that we know of are actually vampire bats. Um, and these reside uh, in Central and South America. Not Transylvania and, or anything. Right? <laughs> not Transylvania. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and these are the only bats who consume blood. 
and only blood for food and water. And now because of their high protein diet, vampire bat researchers can locate their roosts just by the aroma of their feces. (laughs) Just because they stink. They absolutely stink. And um, the bats were actually named after vampires, not the other way around. So vampire mythologies existed in various cultures around the world long before vampire bats got their name, which is so interesting. Mm. Um, You know, you think, oh, maybe this is where the the vampire myths have come from, someone watching a bat bite something and drink the blood. Oh, they made it up before. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really, really interesting. Um, So, yeah, so she said that, you know... um, Anyway, so it's quite, it's quite an interesting uh, idea in that. Um, vampire fact, bats were um, first officially described in literature in 1810 and documented by Charles Darwin in 1839, but it was in 1897 when Bram Stoker's Dracula was released that solidified this relationship between vampires and bats in Western culture. So it's very specific when people started going, oh, I don't like bats now. Like, we don't know. <laughs> they're, not, they're not good. Um, it's also, we're not also, we're not actually their first choice for a meal either. Um, vampire bats can feed on almost any type of animal. And um, they, they can bite porcupines, armadillos, snakes, sea lions, even penguins. But for the most part, they tend to stick to livestock and birds. Okay. And the common vampire bat tends to feed off animals like cows, pigs, and horses, while white-winged and hairy-legged vampire bats um, feed on birds like sleeping chickens. Now, so it's quite, it's still a horrible thing. Now, what's interesting is they, they you know, they will take a bite out of a human. I was just going to ask. <laughs> I was quite relieved to hear that they were not their first choice, but still. But, um, the instances are very, very rare. So mm-hmm. if you're, um, you know, if, if there's, it's not, apparently it's not particularly painful. People who've, who've slept in bat, vampire bat rich areas have maybe woken up to find a, a bat bite. You wouldn't want to, um, mm. but um, yeah, so it's, you're, you're probably, you probably want to get a rabies shot. Mm-hmm. You do get bitten by, bitten by a, a bat, but um, you're more than capable of probably surviving it. They also don't suck blood. So it's this idea of like, you know, you think about vampires sucking blood, but actually in reality, they lap it. It's kind of a bit revolting, but they lap it up like a cat. Okay. So they make a very painless incision near an artery using their very sharp teeth. And then they let the blood trickle out into a little pool before <laughs> licking it up. Again, it, I didn't say it was pleasant, but it's fascinating. Um, so it's kind of revolting. Um, and then their, their spit is what keeps the blood flowing. So a protein in oh, vampire bat saliva. Coagulant. Acts as, yeah. Yes, it's an anticoagulant yeah. that prevents the blood of the prey from clotting and sealing up the wound. Um, and so it's, they, they, this protein is appropriately called draculin. <laughs> oh, right. It's all it's, falling into place now. <laughs> yeah, it's all, coming, it's all coming clear. And this has been targeted as a potential treatment for stroke patients because it's so interesting how that works. Um, so it's kind of interesting. They also have amazingly complex social relationships, um, almost like similar to humans, primates, and dolphins. They form friendship-like grooming associations with other bats in their roost, and they have food-sharing relationships. So... <laughs> They don't put on fat, they don't store energy, and they starve if they miss just two meals. But other bats in their roost will often regurgitate their blood meals, just as a mother bird might, right? And and this apparently, this act of sharing food, or whatever we're going to call a stomach full of blood, um, that, that, that goes beyond family members. So they, they kind of have friends that they'll do this with. 
which is um, kind of fascinating as well. Now, the thing that is really, really interesting about bats, which is why they've kind of captured our common consciousness, especially in the pandemic at the moment, um, is because we're discovering so much about them that even though they, uh, they live a very, very long time, they host numerous viruses, such as the Ebola virus, the Nipah virus, and SARS virus, and MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, coronaviruses, which are extremely harmful when they infect humans and other animals, as we well know right now, mm. right? But bats can harbor so many of these pathogens without suffering from diseases mm. at all. And the key that they've found, because they're studying how this is possible, um, is the bat's ability to limit inflammation. So this is really, really fascinating. Bats do not react to infection with the typical inflammatory response that often leads to pathological damage. So in humans, while the inflammatory response helps fight infection when it's properly controlled, it's also been shown to contribute to the damage caused by infectious diseases, as well as to aging and age-related diseases when it goes into overdrive. So you may have heard this idea, like a lot, especially when we're talking about COVID-19 and we're hearing a lot of more research about the effects of contracting the infection, that it's actually the inflammation that occurs as a result of the infection within people's bodies that mm. can be very damaging. Mm -hmm. Now, research has found that the inflammation sensor that normally triggers the body's response to fight off stress and infection is a protein called NLRP3. Now, it, this, this, little, um, this little protein, it barely reacts in bats compared to humans and mice, even in the presence of really, really high viral loads. So a bat's natural ability to dampen inflammation caused by stress and infection may be a key mechanism underlying the fact that they have very long lifespans, considering, and that they have this kind of unique status as a viral reservoir, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what's it's really tricky. interesting is so they, they, they compared the responses of immune cells from bats, mice, and humans to three different RNA viruses. Now, an RNA virus is, for example, influenza A virus, um, the MERS coronavirus, and Malacca virus. And I think COVID-19 is also an RNA virus, but I won't quote myself on that because I'm not entirely, I'm not, I might be saying that wrong. Now, um, the inflama uh, inflammation mediated by that protein I mentioned was significantly reduced in bats compared to mice and human. And digging further, they found this thing called transcriptional priming. Okay, it sounds a bit scientific, but it's a key step in the process to making those proteins. And that was reduced in bats compared with mice and humans. And they also found unique variants of the proteins that were only present in bats that render the proteins less active in bats than in other species. So they've actually seen these in two very distinct species of bats. As I said, we're talking about a quarter of the world's uh, mammals, mm -hmm. right? Quarter of the world's mammals, one, over a thousand species, and yet they still have this kind of shared trait within the species of this unique um, ability to, to not sort of generate that inflammation, which indicates that they have, this has been genetically conserved mm. through evolution, mm. which is kind of mind-blowing to think about. Amazing. It just um, totally... It just, yeah, so it's, it's, it's this dampening of the inflammatory response which actually enables them to survive. 
and they appear to be capable of limiting excessive or inappropriate virus-induced inflammation, which often leads to severe diseases in other infected animals and people. So it's really interesting because inflammation is such a buzzword is the wrong mm. thing. It's something we talk about it's a so lot. so common, isn't we're it? We're so aware That's of right. it. Yeah. yeah. And we're aware of foods that might reduce inflammation, yeah. drug yeah. trials that might reduce sure. inflammation, the effects of inflammation. And here's this creature that for a very, very, very long time has survived completely riddled with every virus, coronavirus and out no there. And no inflammation. <laughs> and no inflammation. So mm. it's quite fascinating in the way that we can we can think about this. So much we still could be learning from these creatures. Um, so, you know, the thing is that it makes us scared and worried. And when people talk about the fact that, you know, um, that a virus could have jumped from a bat to, I mean, I'm not saying that's the origins of the COVID-19. I'm just saying that some, you know, these discussions we've heard over the last few years, it's very easy to develop a very strongly negative mm. <laughs> emotional response to a bat. Um, but the reality is that they are not the only mammal that are reservoirs for human zoonotic viruses. And the question is not about how do bats cope with viruses, but how do other mammal species that are reservoirs also cope with those viruses they carry as well? And it's very interesting. And we wouldn't be in this conundrum if we weren't pushing ourselves as humans into environments where we shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. And we weren't, wouldn't, we weren't imposing upon these habitats for other creatures, right? Um, of course, you know, it's really easy to listen to these sorts of things and think I want to go and kill all the bats. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of animals out there and bat viruses are actually not likely to spill over to human populations. It's just that when they do, they're virulent. And mm. of course, they wouldn't, as I said, if we weren't messing around, upsetting, yeah, yes. if we weren't messing around and upsetting yeah. the ecosystem and um, upsetting that incredibly fine, delicate balance mm. of, you know, Bats are eating 1,200 mosquitoes every hour, every night. Yeah, you know, and as the weather warms up in Hong Kong, I'm particularly grateful to know that there well, is a small bat, force. Just get a bat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get bats through a night. Very grateful. Um, so it's it's very very fascinating, and Amazing. I think it's interesting that they haven't had that. Um, they have a very bad PR problem at the moment, but um, they are incredibly integral to the way that so many different processes work. Um, I think that was, I just thought it was very fascinating. I just wanted to share it I think it more today, people Daria. need to know about it. Seriously, yeah. I, I, I feel a kind of potential Netflix drama coming along here, you know, <laughs> because Which... <laughs> it does need more attention. Mm. I think it's also that idea, again, that we, we recognize with, with biodiversity, that if we lose something, even if it doesn't seem like it matters, if it's a quarter of the world's population of mammals is mm. bats, and there's so many species, then why does it matter if you just lose some? If, they, mm. if some get a white-nosed fungus, but yeah, apparently they yeah. can't manage as well as the host of viruses they also carry around, right? Why does it matter? Well, it does matter because we're realizing how much we can learn from all these animals sure. that can actually help preserve our own health and well-being and longevity as well, mm. right? Mm. Um, and that they've, got, they've struck a balance that's working. Um, and the, we're the ones that are disrupting it. So I just thought I would give, um, I mean, you know, just come and come and give the bats a little. Yeah, no, you've done like. a good job for the bats, and, <laughs> and I'm I'm absolutely amazed. I I cannot believe it. I I have huge respect for them. Seriously. 
Oh, well, Thank I'm really know. happy to hear that. Thank I mean, you. I'm not say, recommending you get one as a pet. No, no. But maybe just... Unless I've got loads of mosquitoes in the house. But, yes, uh, exactly. Certainly Josh. not. Thank you. That was brilliant. <laughs> I have one quote to finish uh-huh. on today, Sadia, uh-huh. um, which is a Shel Silverstein quote um, that was just thought it was really sweet. It said, um, the baby bat screamed out in fright, turn on the dark, I'm afraid of the light. <laughs> oh, Thank you. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Cruz. No problem, Sadia. And um, when you're walking uh, around tonight and you're looking at the bats, then respect to them completely. I will. Yep, absolutely. (laughs)